Hello and welcome to this latest installment of Barnards on the NBA. I'm your host, Matt Barnard, and I'm joined here by my son and co-host, Emilio. Hey, it's me, Emilio. That is him, Emilio. Uh, this week, we're, uh, we're, we're joining you to uh, continue our discussion of the best lineups one could put together of NBA players based upon where they played in college. And uh, we're going to be taking up at least part of our friend Paul Kondo's challenge in this episode and discussing Princeton and Rutgers. Uh, Paul was recently kind enough to have us on his uh, podcast, Gumbo Podcast, and challenged us to uh, pit Rutgers against Villanova. Unfortunately, that would be uh, such a bloodbath in Villanova's favor that we uh, decided to bump Villanova to a more appropriate matchup and cover Rutgers here. I think we should still do Rutgers versus Villanova in our next episode. Maybe we will, <laughs> but uh, we, we certainly want to give Villanova a little more attention. In this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, Princeton and Rutgers, some New Jersey rivals, and also uh, resetting where we are in the playoffs after uh, – some really exciting action over the last couple of and days. And the Nuggets beat the Clippers in seven. Yeah, pretty, some pretty wild stuff. So we got a lot to get to in this episode. Let's uh, let, let's start off in our conventional fashion, looking at a couple of colleges, the players that uh, that went on to play at the NBA who attended those two. We'll start off uh, by talking about uh, you know position Bailey. by position as we do. Uh, starting at center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, and point guard. Let's get started by talking about players. From Rutgers University, Mills, who was your starting center? Um, James Bailey. James Bailey. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about James Bailey, guy who played uh, 595 regular season games in the NBA. Yes, um, I'm going to have something to say about your center choice, but um, yeah, I mean, solid player. I mean, yeah, I mean, could play. In the yeah, known as uh, Jammin' James because uh, he, I guess, could throw down pretty nicely as uh, in, in his pretty impressive uh, 6'9 frame. Yeah, um, average 8.8 points per game for his career. Played almost 600 games in the league, 500 or regular season games. Did he play it all in the playoffs? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I don't think so either. He uh, – Maybe just just a little little taste in the playoffs. Fourteen games uh, with the uh, with the Sonics and with the Nets. So he did play a little over six hundred games in the league, including the playoffs, to be exact. He played fourteen games in the playoffs. So uh, played, played a bit in Italy as well, down at the end of his career. Yes. Um, well, yeah, his career that ended after his age uh, thirty season. Keep talking. Uh, Mills wants me to uh, continue talking about James Bailey, and I'll say that his uh, his number twenty jersey was retired by uh, by Rutgers. Yeah, he played six hundred and um, nine games in the league. Oh, no. oh no. I was just doing the math, so I wanted to keep talking, so it wasn't like broken up. But appreciate that. Um. Yeah. Yeah, a guy who uh, went to uh, the Final Four with Rutgers uh, in his freshman year back in 1976, so pretty impressive stuff. Uh, he actually made my team as well. He made my squad at power forward instead of at center. At center, I went a different direction. <laughs> I chose uh, Hamadi Njai, uh, probably the most uh, center-like player who uh, has attended who attended Rutgers and went on to the NBA. Emilio is staring daggers at me right now. And I can understand why. Hamadi Njai, not an especially accomplished NBA career, played just uh, just 33 games in the NBA. Let me tell you something. 
He scored 20 points in the league. I know. I know. Solid. Solid. Played 33 games and averaged about a foul a game. I mean, 33 fouls and 20 points in 33 games. Come on, that's hard. Bills have been worked up here talking about Hamidi and Jai. I I certainly concede that the uh, center options at Rutgers leave something to be desired. There's there's a real opportunity there for an enterprising young big man to go to Rutgers, make his way to the NBA, and clearly get on this list. I mean, be the center from Rutgers. Yeah. Right now, the the pickings are uh, pretty slim. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, not a good player. Yeah, not not a great player. How many Anjai uh, hails from uh, from Senegal originally, and uh, you know you got to mention it. The guy wore number fifty five in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, actually skipped in year 2012-2013. Yeah, he's actually gone on to a career overseas. Is still playing professionally in France now at age thirty three. So a guy who's managed to make a living uh, playing professional basketball, which is uh, pretty cool. You got you got to hand it to him, even if uh, you know not not a. Maybe as uh, as good of a center as you would like on uh, on, on one of these teams. Shall That's we move I on? James Bailey at center. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Let's uh, let's move on here. Let's talk about your pick at power forward. I had Roy Hinson. Now Roy Hinson. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about him. He's pretty accomplished for a player who attended Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, probably you would say he's better than Bill Bradley, who's in the Hall of Fame. So. I think he deserves to go in the Hall of Fame. But. Well, let's not jump ahead and step on our, our, our Princeton segment coming up. We do have some things to say about Bill Bradley, but let's talk a little bit about Roy Henson first. Uh, tell us a little bit about what kind of player he was. He scored 19.6 points per game one year. I mean, 14.2 um, points per game for his career, most in um, Rutgers history in the league. And played 507 regular season games. Three, 391 of them were started. And, I mean, took a lot of shots. I mean, 11 shots a game. And Definitely. he made 5.5 of them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He was a, a factor there for a while in the, the mid to late 80s, uh, mostly with the Cavs, but also with the, um, with the 76ers. Uh, Mills, I'm not sure what you're, uh, <laughs> what you're, what you're pointing at. Uh, notably, actually traded um, – to the 76ers from the Cavs for the number one overall pick in the draft, which ended up being Brad Doherty. So uh, ended up, I think, not working out that great for the for the Sixers. Probably would have been happier to just uh, take Brad Doherty themselves and hold on to him versus uh, what they got out of Roy Hinson. But a Roy notable Hinson player. Solid. Definitely a solid player. Uh, Atlantic 10 player of the year during his uh, career. So uh, that's the conference the Rutgers was in at the time. Obviously, Rutgers has changed affiliations a few times uh, in the intervening years. But, um, you know, for Rutgers players, Cavs was pretty good. Roy Henson. Yeah. He was uh, on my team as well. Uh, made my squad at the three. So I think uh, we're ready to move on to your three. Who'd you have there, Mills? Yeah. Um, I had John Battle. Oh, yeah. You mean uh, Pickle? <laughs> yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about John Battle. Yeah, I mean, good player in the league. I mean... Played a while. I think averaged about 10 points a game. Not sure. But, yeah, 8.7 points per game. That got up to 13.6 points per game. But played a while in the league. Had 612 regular season games, and 62 of them were started, which is not great. Yeah, mostly a guy who came off the bench, like as you said, 
but a, a contributor, I mean, you know, among Rutgers players, getting 612 regular season games in is, uh, is, is pretty solid and good enough to get you some serious consideration. I, I mean, certainly concede that John Battle, more impactful NBA career than Hamadi Njai. So I can appreciate you sliding James Bailey and Roy Hinson up a little bit to accommodate a player like John Battle. No, that's not who I was trying to accommodate. I was trying to accommodate Eddie Jordan. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we can uh, circle back around to that because I have Eddie Jordan on my list further down. But let's not step on okay, where, where we're going with this. Um, so, yeah, John Battle, uh, yeah, I think we, we probably said what needs to be said about him in this uh, in this segment here. The real reason why I slided these guys up was because there wasn't actually that many good big men on the same. I mean, like Hamadi Andrei is the only guy who's listed as a center on basketball reference. It's true. And, I mean, I think he's the only one who could really make a strong argument was a center in any respect. I mean, James Bailey, you know, look at his size. Like, you know, a 6'9 guy in today's NBA certainly could play center. And, you know, maybe he would be in that kind of role if he was uh, if he was playing now. But, um, yeah, yeah. how many engine, like the only real big um, that, uh, that that we find among Rutgers uh, attendees. Yeah, I mean, Roy Henson is also 6'9. So. Yeah, good point. I mean, th- those would probably be your two options. But let's, uh, you know, having covered my uh, my small forward here with uh, with Roy Hinson, let's talk about your two. Uh, who'd you have there? Um, Dante Jones, is that how you say it? Dante Jones, yes. Yes, indeed. He's a, a much more recent player than most of these guys we've discussed. Yes. Um, um, won a title. Yeah, won a title uh, with, with the Cavs in, uh, in, in 2016, right down the end of his career. Uh, didn't really play a ton for the Cavs. I mean, I think he played actually some minutes in the uh, – in, in the playoffs that year more than uh, more than in the regular season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really a defensive uh, menace. I mean, I, yeah, I played 15 games in that playoff. And only played one game in the regular season. Yeah, yeah, it's got kind of an interesting, uh, interesting uh, note there. But uh, 624 regular season games, so the guy definitely uh, contributed in NBA action. Yeah, and then actually one game that he played, he scored 13 points. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. And he had two blocks and one steal. Yeah. Yeah. Five rebounds. Great job by him in that one game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, notable to uh, – I mean, you got to mention that he actually attended Duke as well. I think uh, I definitely remember him more as a Duke attendee. I mean, a guy who transferred from, from Rutgers to Duke and um, you know, graduated for at least, uh, you know, entered the NBA as, as a Duke player. Also uh, notably cousins with uh, Al Harrington, a guy who yeah. uh, was a longtime NBA player. I also wanted to mention that in that one game he played with the Cavs. Oh, yeah. Tell us more about that one game that he played with, uh, with, with the Cavs in 2015-2016. No, this is actually relevant. Or kind of. Um, he fouled out. That's great. I mean, <laughs> Sorry. Really, really terrific stuff. Um, <laughs> Let, let Mills uh, collect himself here. Dante Jones was also um, my pick. I mean, this guy hung around the league for a long time and was, uh, you know, a useful defender at, at, at a bare minimum. Definitely one of these, uh, you know, guys who's a pest. I mean, kind of in the mold of, uh, of a Marcus Smart, nowhere near that kind of player, obviously, nowhere near that kind of scorer, and not nowhere near that kind of defender. I mean, we're talking about one of the best players in the league, but kind of, you know, a, a physical guy who could guard guys who are guard players who are bigger than him. You know, six six could guard uh, power forwards in addition to you know point guards. So, uh, you know, useful player on the NBA for quite some time. Yeah, and uh, also played small my shooting forward. guard as well. Yeah, yeah, could play small forward definitely. Could sw- swing back and forth among those positions. Let's finally get to our point guards here. By the way, I think he could occasionally play power forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I mentioned him being able to guard anyone from yeah. power forward down to down to point guard. So I, that, that's fair to say. 
Let's yeah. talk about uh, point guard now. Yeah, um, Eddie Jordan. Yeah, so uh, Eddie Jordan, he was my point guard as well. Tell us a little bit about uh, Fast Eddie. He also won the title, actually. Okay, Flyer. I mean, 8.1 points per game. Actually, 11.8 points per game with the Nets. So, good there. And three-year or a four-year stretch, actually. Like four and a half or not quite. But, yeah, he was a solid player. Yeah, definitely. A contributor during his time in the league. I mean, 420 regular season games. I don't know if you just said that. But, uh, you know, out of his league, by the time he hit he hit, uh, 29 or 30 years old, really, 29 being his last season, but really, uh, I think more notable impact on the NBA as a coach. Guy uh, went on a- after his playing career was over to uh, coach at Boston College, then Rutgers, and then around around the NBA, making uh, stops as head coach with the uh, with the Kings, Wizards, and Sixers uh, before coming back to his alma mater to uh, to coach at Rutgers uh, for a few years, ending in uh, 2016. Now supposedly uh, retired, but a long career as a coach and around the NBA. And college basketball for uh, for Eddie Jordan. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, an NBA champion in uh, uh, 81, 82 with the Lakers. Yes, um, and most recently um, was an assistant with the Hornets. Yeah, so just just a couple of years ago, and you know, a, a guy with the kind of uh, wealth of knowledge that I'm sure Eddie Jordan carries around with him. Uh, you know, who knows if he might find his way back onto a bench. Certainly could happen. All right, so let's uh, let's revisit our uh, our starting fives here from Rutgers, and we can uh, see if we want to mention a couple more people. Um, I had Tanner James Bailey, power forward Roy Hinson, small forward John Battle, shooting guard Dante Jones, and point guard Eddie Jordan. And I had uh, center Hamidi Njai, uh, power forward James Bailey, small forward Roy Hinson, uh, shooting guard Dante Jones, and point guard Eddie Jordan. Now, is there anyone else who uh, you wanted to mention? among Rutgers attendees? I mean, not really. I mean, they don't have a lot of good players. I mean, what about uh, Bobby Lloyd? Any any thoughts on him? A guy who's nicknamed uh, Bob. I mean, I guess. I mean, <laughs> average 9.9. Average 9 points per game for his career, so good for this guy. Yeah, I played in the ABA a little bit, 125 uh, <laughs> regular season games. Played <laughs> two years. Yeah, I mean, you know, got a little bit of run. I mean, Look, there, there are really are not a lot of players from Rutgers. I mean, a surprisingly few number, from my perspective, number of players who attended Rutgers who went on to the NBA. I mean, as we saw, we're even including guys like Dante Jones, who didn't finish up at Rutgers. But uh, Bob Lloyd, you know, he has his number retired by uh, by Rutgers. That, that's pretty cool. So he's, you know, really, really high-quality player in college. And uh, has gone on to uh, be a successful businessman, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, I bet you he scored, like, 1,000 points in the league. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he, he was pretty solid. You, you're right. He's over 1,100 points in the uh, in the ABA during his couple of years there. Also wanted to mention uh, Quincy Doobie. Now, I actually remember this guy uh, during his time in the league, much more recent, and uh, during his time coming up in, in college. Um, a local guy, grew up in, uh, in in Brooklyn, went on to uh, to play at Rutgers, and um, you know, not a, not a particularly notable NBA career, but has gone on to play uh, around the world. You know, professional basketball player. You know, a lot of different places. That's the, the path a lot of these guys end up taking. Any comments on uh, Quincy Doobie? I mean, not really. Played a little bit in the league. I mean, I guess he could still get back in. He's only 36. Great point. Great point, Mills. Okay, so let's uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break here, and we'll uh, be back in just a moment to discuss some players who attended Princeton. Now we're back to uh, pick up our discussion of uh, players who attended Princeton. Let's uh, start at the center spot. Mills, who'd you have at Princeton's center? John Hummer. 
Yeah, now let's talk a little bit about John Hummer. This guy was taken with the uh, 15th overall pick by the uh, Buffalo Braves in the 1970 NBA draft. Anything to say about John Hummer? Um, yeah, I mean, 6.9 points per game in his career, but actually averaged 11.3 points per game in his first year in the league. And 327 regular season games, I mean, average 22 minutes per game, but solid player. Yeah, definitely. I mean, part of a really successful uh, Princeton team uh, when he was in college, uh, joined by Jeff Petrie, who uh, may well feature on these uh, these squads a little bit further down as we work our way through the positions. Uh, so some really, really good time uh, Princeton basketball that he was a part of. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, a, 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 you know, solid NBA player. I mean, really not a ton more to say about him than that. Not an incredibly long career. Uh, went on to a very successful career as a uh, venture capitalist after college, attended Stanford, uh, you know, following his uh, playing career. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, he played for some really cool coaches during his career. I mean, notable guys like uh, Dolph Shays, Bill Russell, and uh, Jack Ramsey. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, among the guys who, uh, who went to Princeton, John Hummer, a fine choice at center. Uh, he, he's who I had as well. But on this next one, he didn't have. Let's talk about it. Who'd you have at power forward? I had Bud Palmer. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Bud Palmer. I mean, the forward center. That's all it says on his page about what position he played. Usually it says power forward or small forward, but this one's forward center. He averaged 11.7 points per game in his three years in the league. Played 170, um, 48 regular season games, 11.9 points per game. I already said that. I got up to 13 points per game. It's yeah, I think uh, as I've noticed, uh, you know, as we were doing the research for these episodes and uh, putting our, our work together, some of the early stats that are visible on Basketball Reference, uh, shout out Basketball Reference, uh, we couldn't do it without you. Uh, you know, stats from the 40s sometimes don't have the same sort of player uh, position classifications. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you will see this more like forward slash center as opposed to as, as you know, you get even a little bit later in basketball history, you see. Uh, you know, more specific positions, shooting guard, small forward, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the, looking at, uh, you know, the likes of Bud Palmer, I mean, this guy, you know, started his career in 1946, ended in 1948, you know, was playing on the Knicks when they were back in the, the BAA. So this is a really old time basketball when you're talking about Bud Palmer. Yeah, but he actually was only 6'4 and still a center power forward. 6'4, 180. I mean, talk about like, there's just, you, you can't even imagine basketball where a guy who's 6'4", 180 was like, you know, a playing forward. For, forward center. I mean, like, what what a different world, but it really was. I mean, you know, John Shove Bud Palmer. I mean, this guy was, uh, you know, a guy from another era and uh, sadly uh, no longer with us having uh, passed away back in uh, 2013. He did live to 91. He did. He had uh, had a good run of it and a uh, guy who enlisted in the uh, in, in the military as well. Uh, during World War II and in the Navy and went on to a career as a sportscaster as well. So, you know, Bud Palmer, what can you say? Mm -hmm. Well, you could say that he's uh, your power forward on this team. I went a different direction, and I chose Steve Goodrich to rep the Princeton squad at the power forward spot. Mills, what, <laughs> <laughs> Mills, what can you tell us about Steve Goodrich? He's a lot worse than the other guy we just talked about. Oh, uh, well. Thank you, with me. <laughs> I guess I have to. I mean, <laughs> Steve Goodrich, <laughs> without much of a of an NBA career to speak of, just 21 games across a couple of seasons uh, with the Bulls and with the Nets. 
uh, starting in, in the year 2000. Um, yeah, not, not a lot of impact. Probably the best, less said about his uh, on-court performance, the better in terms of justifying his position on the on this squad. I think, you know, sometimes with, uh, with, with players like Bud Palmer, I mean, I, you know, a 6'4 guy fitting into, you know, a power forward spot uh, in this lineup just feels a little bit unrealistic. We have so little information about Bud Palmer's performance. But, uh, yeah, what we have about Steve Goodridge's performance, not really that noteworthy. Uh, did go on to play a bit overseas as well, played uh, in, in Ukraine, at Turkey. Um, but, yeah, not, uh, not not really much of, of a professional NBA basketball player. So, uh, you know, this this is a, probably a career highlight for uh, Steve Goodrich having, uh, you know, as mentioned on the podcast. Um, all right, let, let's move on quickly here and uh, try not to linger too long on Steve Goodrich. Get to a much more deserving player, small forward, Mills. Who do you have there? Uh, Bill Bradley. Is that who you have? I did have Bill Bradley. This guy is in the Hall of Fame. Get out of the Hall of Fame. Wow. Mills is saying get out of the Hall of Fame. All right, let's talk a little bit about Bill Bradley. I bet your his Hall of Fame percentage is a big, big zero. I don't know if it's going to be a zero. It's He's a 0.4 Hall of Fame probability, according to basketball reference. That's really low, and I think, you know, looking at it through our eyes all these years later, I mean, not getting to experience Bill Bradley's career uh, as it happens, you know, his, his college success, his Olympic success, his NBA success in terms of winning titles. We do look back on his uh, career statistical profile and it's uh, pretty underwhelming for a guy who ended up in the hall of fame. Uh, Mills, what do you see when you look at uh, Bill Bradley's stats? Only 12.5 points per game for his career. Only 3.4 rebounds, only 3.4 assists, and only 3.2 rebounds. And this guy was just bad. Well, I think bad is is taking it too far, but I mean, you know, bad for a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, a guy who you know played a lot. I mean, seven hundred and forty-two regular season games, and that's you know over the course of not that many seasons. I think it's nine seasons there, um, from age twenty-four to twenty to thirty-three. Famously, um, you know, skipped the first couple of years that he could have been in the NBA. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar. I mean, you know, a, a remarkable intellect. And a guy who obviously went on to great things after his NBA career as well. And ran for a, president. A senator and right exactly ran for president. There was actually another Bill Bradley who started his career on the same year as him. In the NBA. Mm-hmm. Remarkable. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk about him on one of these teams someday as well. Um, uh, well, can you look what college you want to? Uh, let, let's take a quick look at that. But <laughs> anything else you uh, would want to say about, uh, about this Bill Bradley? I mean... Mm-hmm. Known as uh, Dollar Bill, Mr. President. I mean, uh, surely uh, a nod to his political aspirations. Yeah, I mean, not really, but. Oh, let's, so let's talk a little bit about the other Bill Bradley, because I know that's what people want to hear about. Because he also did not go to college. Right, very interesting. So, I mean, you know, most NBA players, uh, especially in these earlier years, uh, attended college in some way or one way or another, but uh, it could be the basketball reference. Doesn't have the information about uh, where the other Bill Bradley attended, but could be that he just didn't go to college. Uh, let's uh, let, let's focus back on uh, on this Bill Bradley. Anything else we want to uh, want to want to get to on Bill Bradley? As I mentioned, uh, really famed uh, as as a, as an amateur, uh, both for his success at Princeton and uh, his success on the uh, Olympic team. Yeah, I mean, good player. I mean, college player of the year type. I mean, most outstanding player of the Final Four type. So wow, was that's pretty good. really well known, I think, entering the league. And then to go from that to winning a couple of titles. I mean, I get some, some of those, like, Derek Jeter kind of vibes where people just, like, kind of thought, like, boy, this guy can, like, really 
really knows how to be in a winning situation and how to really, you know, bring it over the top. So I think that kind of carried him uh, through a lot of his career and the kind of rep that got him into the Hall of Fame. He's only a one-time All-Star, but two-time NBA champ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those Knicks teams, very influential in terms of uh, Hall of Fame placements as uh, the years went on. So I had Bill Bradley at the three as well. Let's talk about the two meals. Who'd you have there? I had um, Jeff Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about him. This guy, a little bit more accomplished of a player. Um, Wow. 21.8 points per game for his career. Averaged 24 or more points per game. In three seasons. And the other seasons, he averaged in the 18 points per game. But this guy was good. I know he only played like five years in the league, but hey. But hey. And this guy was good. Yeah, the eighth overall pick in the 1970 draft out of uh, out of Princeton. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, the guy could really fill it up. Yeah, I mean, rookie of the year, all-rookie team, and a two-time All-Star. Yeah, his number 45 is retired by the Blazers. I mean, he really made an impact during his time there. And uh, unfortunately, you know, another example of a player for the Blazers, I mean, I'm thinking of like Brandon Roy, whose uh, career got off to a terrific start and just was, you know, ended by injury. I mean, his last season was at 27, had a career-ending injury, and then didn't play after that. Yeah. Very unfortunate. Uh, went on to uh, leadership positions in the in the NBA, becoming a, an executive, one executive of the year a couple of times in uh, 99 and 2001. So pre- some pretty impressive stuff as well. I worked as a commentator on Blazers broadcasts as well. So uh, definitely a guy who's, who's made uh, made a career and a life in the NBA. Yeah. Um, you just want to like get a look at him, see what, see what he looked like. Mills is just like uh, indicating I should scroll up on the Wikipedia page we have <laughs> open here. Um, yeah. I just wanted to see what he looked like. Yeah, he's got a uh, nice wavy hair, and yeah, he's. Uh, he likes to sit on. He likes to sit on the king's court. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seemingly, all right. So I, I, of course, had Jeff Petrie here as well. Uh, really, really impressive uh, player, and, and a guy who I wasn't aware of was such a baller uh, until uh, looking into this uh, for, for the purposes of the podcast. Despite my awareness of him as an executive, uh, let's talk about. I knew about him. Either. Point guard. Who'd you have there? Brian Taylor, he's the best player. I mean, look, two-time All-Star, two-time NBA champ, um, three-time All-Defense, four-time, I mean, All-ABA team, All-Rookie team, and Rookie of the Year, and this guy was nasty. Yeah, I think it's worth – I mean, I I agree with you. I mean, I think it's worth noting how much of that was in the ABA. I mean, he played uh, 271 of his 601 career games in the ABA, so a little bit under half. But, um, yeah, I mean, a really good player. I mean, I – Better, I mean, a surprisingly good player for a guy I really was not familiar with. And I know he never got up over 20 points a game, but, hey, 13.1 points per game for his career. I mean, it's like the field goal percentage was um, – well, his real field goal percentage, as you say, is 49%, so efficient shooter and played 601 games in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, the steals numbers really jump off the page at you too, don't they? Yeah, I mean, two point one steals point for game for his career and um, four point one assists, so he passed it. Yeah, absolutely, and led the league in steals at one point. So uh, yeah, I mean, seemingly, I mean, uh, as the numbers uh, lay it out, a really impressive guard. Yeah, I mean, um, actually led the league in three point percentage twice. Yeah, impressive. I mean, it has, has a lot of things going for him that would make for a dynamic, uh, you know, impactful guard for I sure. Think he should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Emilio getting the uh, Brian Taylor for Hall of Fame train. I'm just kidding. Rolling but... right here on the podcast. 
I want to see what his Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame percentage is. It's going to be that high, but it might be higher than Bill Bradley's. Oh. His Hall of Fame percentage is sadly off the board, but um, <laughs> a really nice career for, uh, for, for Yeah, Brad maybe Taylor. not a Hall of Fame, but he was a very good player. Yes, absolutely. A guy who is uh, under-discussed, I think, when, when uh, looking back in NBA history. And it's a great thing we did this uh, Princeton episode, so we can uh, bring, bring Brian Taylor's career to light. Uh, so let's run through our teams uh, one more time here, and then we can uh, discuss anyone else who we want to get to from Princeton. Okay, center, John Hummer, power forward, Bud Palmer, small forward, Bill Bradley, um, shooting guard, Jeff Petrie, and point guard, Brian Taylor. And I had uh, center, John Hummer, forward, Steve Goodrich, uh, small forward, Bill Bradley, shooting guard, Jeff Petrie, and point guard, Brian Taylor. <laughs> As Miller collects himself. Uh, is there anyone else you wanted to uh, get to from Princeton? I, I did want to mention Armand Hill, guy who was taken ninth overall in the 1976 draft. Similar size to um, Bud <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And, and a totally different position. I mean, Armand Hill, a point guard versus uh, Bud Palmer at that uh, forward center spot. Armand Hill, any, uh, any thoughts on him? Did you look into him at all? Yeah, he played a lot in the league. Ten point two points per game on his most, six point nine for his career. I mean, good player. Average three point one personal fouls, but yeah. Yeah, got 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 around. Played uh, played for some time, as you mentioned, on the the Hawks, the the Sonics, the San Diego Clippers, the Bucks, and uh, yeah, I mean, most relevant, I think now as a, as an assistant coach is on the assistant coach for the Clippers, who uh, had their. Their season uh, ended last night, so a tough, tough uh, 24 hours here for uh, Armand Hill, but a notable uh, Princeton attendee. All right, let's take a, uh, another quick break here, and we can return in just a moment to see how these two teams match up against each other. All right, so let's get into a comparison now of these uh, Princeton and Rutgers squads. I guess Rutgers and Princeton squads. Uh, let's, uh, let's let's start at, at the center matchup. Mills, who'd you have at center? Do you have uh, Rutgers's James Bailey or Princeton's John Hummer? James Bailey. James Bailey, sorry. Yeah, so uh, what, was your, what was your thinking there? He's just a better player. I mean, really, nothing else. I mean, James Bailey's a better player than John Hummer. Okay, well, uh, that really says it all right there. So uh, James just, Bailey puts Rutgers up one nothing. For real, he played well more than – um, John Hammer, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. So, uh, so yeah, we'll we'll take it from there. Move on to the power forward matchup where we've got Rutgers' Roy Hinson and Princeton's Bud Palmer. Um, yeah, you gotta go Bud Palmer here. I'm just kidding, <laughs> Roy Hinson for sure. Yeah, Roy Hinson, just a much more accomplished player, uh, played in the NBA in a much more mature state uh, when he did versus Bud Palmer, just getting a few years in at the very beginning. So that's going to put Rutgers up 2 nothing. Let's move on to the small forward matchup where we've got Rutgers' as John Battle and Princeton's Bill Bradley, the Hall of Famer. Too easy, Bill Bradley. Yeah, you got to go Bill Bradley there, which uh, is going to tighten things up a little bit. 2-1 Rutgers at the shooting guard matchup. We've got Rutgers' as Dante Jones and Princeton's Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. Yeah, pretty clearly, right? Jeff Petrie, a nasty player uh, during his career. Going to even things up at 2-2. Point guard matchup, uh, Rutgers' is Eddie Jordan versus Princeton's Brian Taylor. And I think I know which way you're going on this one. <laughs> Brian Taylor. Yeah, you got to go Brian Taylor, which is going to give Princeton the the, uh, the lead and uh, the victory here. Is a yeah, they go on a three-nothing run. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. 
They're up. The Rutgers is up to nothing. Oh, Princeton goes on a 3-0 run and wins. <laughs> Pretty impressive stuff. Three in a row, just like <laughs> the Nuggets. Uh, we'll get to that in our next segment coming up in just a moment. Do you think this is actually how it would work out if uh, Rutgers and Princeton's all-time teams face off? Yes. Yeah, Princeton uh, just got got a little more to work with here. I think Rutgers, uh, you know, got to draw some, uh, got to get some talent there. This is the State University of New Jersey. Got to get some ballers in at Rutgers and uh, get into the league. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's uh, take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a moment to uh, check in with where we are in the NBA playoff scene. And we're back to uh, check in on the NBA playoff picture as it has developed. Uh, we're going to start off by uh, checking in on the uh, the conference semifinal series, the four of them. I'll start off with uh, an enormous upset, the uh, number one team in the NBA coming in by most statistical measures, the Bucks falling to the Heat. Mills, uh, what happened here? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler had a great series, and the Bucks can only get one game, and the Heat won. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it doesn't, uh, didn't fall with uh, our expectations or just about anybody's. I mean, to see the, uh, the Bucks uh, fall – in such a decisive fashion. I mean, losing the first three games really, uh, you know, with Giannis healthy. I mean, I realized that, you know, by the end of the series, Giannis had uh, come up lame and not, not able to to uh, continue. But really, I mean, some incredible work from the Heat here. Yeah, I mean, they deserve to win the series. Yeah, not really much question about it. I mean, who would you uh, look at for uh, the MVP of uh, of this series? Yeah, I mean, you got to go to Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, averaging uh, 23.4 points uh, for the series per game, uh, 5.8 rebounds and 4.4 assists with uh, almost two steals there as well. And uh, really a dominating presence. I mean, you can see already, I mean, we're recording this uh, the day after game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat won. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler again coming up with a huge shot, and it really has uh, seemed like his game has elevated here in the playoffs. I mean, especially his long-range shooting game. 5 of 11 from three in this series against the Bucks. I mean, where was that all season? I mean, Jimmy Butler was not looking for a shot. It wasn't hitting it either, but it's definitely been there for him now. Yeah, I mean, Gabe Vincent also played in this series, so. <laughs> yeah, Gabe Vincent got, uh, <laughs> got a little bit of time down the end uh, for the Heat. What do you think went, went wrong with the Bucks? I mean, uh, this is a disaster for them. Giannis didn't have a good series. Yeah, I mean, really not up to the standard that you'd look for from Giannis. I mean, you know, 21% shooting from uh, from three. I mean, you know, those shots are available for him. Uh, you know, only 14 attempts and 53% from free throw line. Pretty bad. I mean, leaving, leaving a lot of points out there and uh, to get knocked out of the playoffs in, uh, in five games here. And they were all pretty close games. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, you know, there they were some pretty close games. I mean, I think game four kind of uh, separated out a little bit. Uh, excuse me, game uh, game three did, and that was really, uh, you know, the decisive blow, right? I mean, once you're down 3-0, I mean, that's never been accomplished in NBA history coming back from that. So pretty uh, pretty devastating for the Bucks, And, you know, we'll get into it uh, as, as uh, we get into the offseason and stuff, you know, where they're going to look from here, what what's going to happen to the Bucks at this point. But uh, extremely disappointing. Yes. So you want to move on? Yeah, let's move on from there to uh, Rockets uh, Lakers. Let's uh, talk about this series. What happened there, Mills? Also a five gamer. Yeah, I mean Lakers just really took care of business after the Rockets winning that one. The Lakers were like, mm 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 mm. Yeah, the Rockets were coming into this with uh, with some momentum, having been playing every other day uh, in that series against the Thunder, having gone to seven in that one. And uh, yeah, I mean it really looked like after that first game. I mean I certainly thought it. I mean Rockets with a fifteen point win. 
I believe we recorded after that first game had been played. And uh, I stuck to my prediction of uh, Rockets winning in seven. Well, that was wrong. <laughs> the Lakers uh, came back in game two and really uh, didn't leave any doubt uh, the rest of the series, despite there being some closer, um, you know, contests. We you know wins are, uh, by eight, eight points, 10 points. But the Lakers pretty pretty well took care of business. Yeah, I mean, good, good, just good performance by them. Yeah, I mean, Jared Dudley played surprisingly. Yeah, he got 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 a little bit in there. Got in a couple of games in this series. Uh, got deeper into the bench as uh, as the series went on. Who knows whether uh, some of those guys, Deion Waiters, Dudley, J.R. Smith, are going to be useful at some point in the future. Even uh, Jalen uh, Horton Tucker, um, Talon Horton Tucker, excuse me. Um, <laughs> who would you uh, think of as the as the MVP uh, performer in this series for the Lakers? LeBron. Yeah, hard to argue with LeBron. I mean, he and AD though have been both producing at such a high level so far in these playoffs. I mean, it really is, yeah. is going to be quite a formidable challenge for the Nuggets going forward in the next round. And how about the Rockets? I mean, anything jump off the page to you for, uh, in terms of uh, things they needed to do better to have a chance in the series? No. They had a solid series. The Lakers just played better. Yeah, I think probably just, I mean, finding a way to get some more threes would have been important for them. But, I mean, you know, I, I tend to agree. I mean, they're, they're outclassed against the Lakers. I mean, Lakers have a better squad than they do. And, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see where the Rockets find themselves going into next year. I mean, a lot of options on the table for them. And uh, we'll see what they end up doing. I think uh, Daniel House was also injured for part of that series. Well, Daniel House actually, yeah, he, he got suspended for uh, for violating the protocols in the bubble and, um, you know, ended up missing some games. And that really seemed to throw the Rockets into a funk. I believe that was before game three, and he ended up missing that and the rest of the series. So, Things might have been different if, uh, if Daniel House had been out there. It's a great point. I mean, he, he definitely was providing some good spacing for them in the uh, in, in the first round and throughout the season. So, you know, kind of a thin team as it is, and you know, you need need some options for uh, you know a situation where you know Jeff Green shot twenty seven percent in this series from three. Russ shot you know twenty six percent from three. You, know, you kind of need some more options there, other than uh, Harden, Gordon, and uh, Covington, and PJ Tucker on the corner three. So. Uh, yeah, just not what the Rockets were looking for, and I think you know we may very well see a different Rockets team coming back next year. We already know Mike D'Antoni, the coach, is uh, going to be out going somewhere else for next season. Uh, let's move on here and talk about the uh, the series between the Celtics and the Raptors. This is an epic seven-gamer. Mills, yeah, what happened here? I really wanted the Raptors to win, but the Celtics did a good job. Um, yeah, it was a good series. I mean, one to seven. I mean, it's a little bit more than a good series. I mean, there, were some, there were some epic situations in this. Oh, they uh, hit the buzzer beater! Yeah, I mean, in that, that incredible game three, uh, OG, uh, you know, preventing the uh, Celtics from taking a three-zero lead in the series. But really, I mean, an incredible game, an incredible series. Excuse me, all the way around, hard fought, all the way down to the end. But finally, it was the Celtics with a five-point victory in Game Seven to uh, seal the deal. Yeah, I mean, Jace. Jason Tatum with 24.3 points per game in the series and average a double-double. So. Yeah, 24.3 points, as you said. I mean, 10.3 rebounds, 5.3 assists. I mean, really, really stout numbers from uh, Jason Tatum. Just 21 years old. I mean, just 22. totally 22 now, playing his age 21 season. Um, completely unstoppable. I mean, as, as you know, we we're saying, uh, you know, as we've discussed amongst ourselves, uh, as we're moving in the direction of these playoffs, there's really like nothing you can do with this guy. Yeah. I mean, I know the uh, we've discussed, uh, you know, amongst ourselves, uh, you know, the um, strategy employed by the Raptors, trying to take Kemba Walker out of the series. 
And I think for the most part, that kind of worked. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't enough. I mean, you know, the, the Celtics got contributions from uh, from Smart, from Tice, from Wanamaker, from Robert Williams in spots, and of course from uh, from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And uh, it was enough to uh, overcome what the uh, what the Raptors were throwing at them. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, down the end. Uh, who would you have as the uh, MVP of this series? Um, Jalen Brown. Yeah, what makes you say that? He played well, or maybe Jason Tatum. Yeah, I think you got to go Jason Tatum, but I mean Jalen Brown probably a close uh, close second there. Marcus Smart also having an enormous impact as he does on the defensive end, in addition to his offensive contributions. Yes. Um, How about for the uh, for the Raptors? Any, anything notable when you're looking back at, at their performance in the series? I mean, they didn't play great. I mean, especially Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I think that's where I go to as well. I mean, looking at the numbers, I mean Fred VanVleet shot under thirty five percent for the series. But he was solid. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's offering a lot off the, you know, away from the ball and away from his shooting. Pascal Siakam, though, you're right. I mean, you know, four for 32 from three-point range in the series, like, that's not going to cut it. I mean, 38%, I mean, averaging, you know, under 15 points per game. I mean, they really needed more from him in this series uh, t- to be able to get over the top. Yeah, I mean, Serge Ibaka and OG Ananobi played great. They really did. I mean, and Kyle Lowry played great, too. Yeah, terrific contributions from those guys, and I think you know, really, really hard-fought matchup, and uh, we'll see what happens with the with the Raptors going forward as well. Yeah. So um, you want to move on to the Raptors conference? Let's let's do it. Let's get to the final series here: the Nuggets versus the Clippers. Just wrapped up last night as we record this, and uh, an epic, epic come from behind victory for the uh, Nuggets in this series. Yeah, the Nuggets win and they come back from down 3-1 and two series zero. That's really all I have to say. It's amazing. Never never been done before. What happened here? I mean, you know, obviously the uh, the story is really Nikola Jokic. I mean, in terms of his uh, production across the series and his domination of the Clippers really as these uh, final Nugget wins uh, occurred. Yeah. 24.4 points per game for the series, 13.4 rebounds, 6.6 assists, and a block and a half as well. You know, again, another fantastic shooting series from him as well. Uh, 15 of 38 for, uh, you know, 39.5%. But some terrific shooting from uh, Murray, from Harris, great shot creation, timely shot making by the likes of Michael Porter and uh, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant. And uh, really just a phenomenal team effort on display right now, overcoming the uh, the, the more talented favorite in, in, the, in the Clippers. I mean, in, in truly stunning fashion. I mean, coming back from 3-1 in the series, but also down double digits in each of these games, too, as the game progressed and being able to come back from that and, well, not uh, the final and victories. Game. I don't think. Even in the final game, they were down a dozen points. So, I mean, it really a incredible effort by, by these Nuggets. Yeah. What do you say about these Clippers? I mean, it, they played fine. Yeah, I mean, not fine enough. I mean, they, they need, needed a little more to find a way to win that last game in the series. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, you look, looking at the statistical, uh, you know, resume of the uh, of the Clippers I mean, after the series, what, what would you say? I don't love to say it, but Reggie did not play great. Yeah, Reggie Jackson. I mean, not a huge part of the rotation. I think as the series went on, only playing thirty three minutes. I know he's a favorite of yours. From back in Detroit days and uh, made your favorite 15 episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they just needed more from Kawhi and from Paul George down the end. I mean, I think it, certainly more from the likes of uh, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams, you know, six-man uh, finalists. Um, 
this year, uh, just you know, not as much from those guys as uh, as they ultimately required. Major Zubak, Patrick Beverly. Yeah, I mean Patrick Beverly got into a lot of foul trouble in this series and uh, ultimately came back to bite them in, uh, in in shocking, shocking fashion. I mean, I think this is one of the most unlikely, hardest to, to foresee uh, results in an NBA series, certainly in my lifetime. Yeah. So, do you want to move on to our? Um, Series previous? Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's talk about. Oh, series uh, MVP, Nikola Jokic. Uh, yeah, it's got to be Nikola Jokic from this series, I think, uh, for sure. I'm in agreement with you there. So let's talk about uh, about these series that are uh, that are coming up. Actually, the, the Celtics and Heat are underway. The Heat uh, taking the victory in Game One in a very exciting fashion. Bam with a block. Ooh. Bam with one of the one of the great classic blocks in NBA history. I would say right away. I mean, you know, stuffing Jason Tatum at the rim. Really savage. Uh, so, what do you think is going to happen in this series, Mills? The Heat with a one nothing advantage right now. Um, I think the Heat are going to win at six. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, I think I probably would have taken the Celtics to be quite honest uh, prior to this game one result, despite the Heat now being you know nine and one in the bubble. I mean, we now know that in the playoffs. In the playoffs, uh, excellent uh, clarification. Yes, yeah, not in the bubble. They played a lot more than that in the bubble with their eight games. But uh, yeah, nine and one in the playoffs here. I would take the Heat as well. I'm going to take them in 6-2. Just really impressed with this team right now. The Celtics are going to have to make some adjustments to uh, to get back on the Series right MVP, path. I think, is going to be Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I'm going to say Bam Adebayo. I mean, I think he that the image of uh, what he did last night on Jason Tatum is going to be uh, ringing in people's uh, eyes and people's memories for uh, for a while. I think Jimmy Butler certainly is a great pick as well. Uh, he, he's yes. playing fantastic. Goran Dragic is playing fantastic, and the Heat are just firing on all cylinders right now. And look at them. They're seven wins away from a championship. Who would have ever believed the Heat would be in that kind of position this year? Yeah. And for the other series. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, we've got the uh, the favorites again in the Lakers uh, going up against these uh, incredibly scrappy Nuggets who no one's going to be counting out anymore. I think the Lakers are showing one in five. Yeah, I don't know if I'm – yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I think on talent I could definitely see that, but it's hard for me to imagine these Nuggets going out in five games. I'm going to say Lakers in six. I give the Nuggets a little bit more credit than that, but, uh, I mean, boy, they've certainly upended expectations of them uh, to this point in the playoffs. Yeah, so for um, series MVP, by the way, um, LeBron, but – Yeah, I'll say AD this time because, I mean, he, he might be central in uh, – Trying to neutralize Nikola Jokic to whatever degree that can happen, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll go with AD. Although I could see LeBron being in that kind of role too. What do you think of it? Yeah. So for predictions, so we know I think the Lakers and the Heat are going to be in the finals, and I think the Lakers will win that one. No, I think that. Thinking about it. I think it'll be the Lakers and seven. Yeah, I'm going to take the Lakers in seven too. It's a little bit boring, but uh, no, I'll take the Lakers in six. We'll go. We'll. So I'll change it up a little bit on you. Strange look over here from Mills, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers ultimately just have a little bit more than the Heat do. I think when it comes down to uh, you know seeing LeBron and uh, NAD going up against the uh, superstarless uh, Heat, I could see the uh, the Lakers having an edge, but I could definitely see it. Uh, it feels pretty wide open right now. Yeah. So. That's uh, that's that's about what we got for uh, for for today. This is a long episode, and we thank you for uh, for hanging with us, getting through uh, a couple different segments here. If you're enjoying, please do a rating, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate your uh, your support and any comments that you might have. You can uh, get in touch with us at uh, Barnards on the NBA at gmail.com for, with any uh, thoughts, suggestions, subjects you'd like us to cover in the future, uh, any topic ideas you might have. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Barnards on NBA as well. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Bye.